at you today, okay? And I'm just sensing a little bit of a lull right now. F*** that. You don't got time for that. All right? Let's go. Crank it. Crank it. Let it cross. Woo! Ladies and gentlemen, can I please have your attention? I've just been handed an urgent and horrifying news story. And I need all of you to stop what you're doing and listen. You're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk with Derek Johnson and Nick Springer on FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Depend on it. Hey, what's happening? Welcome into another edition of Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. And happy Thursday to you on the show. Hey, I just realized I, I was to. I was waiting Sorry. for you to say it was I was like delayed. So so focused. into the music. I was locked in. I was like, let's 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 go be great today. And then I and then I just realized that you said that and I was like, oh, I'm supposed to, this is where I'm supposed to say something. <laughs> yeah. You were like this is where I'm like, dude, okay, this actually happens to me sometimes. Where I'll be like doing something and I'll will be like so laser focused that I just like I don't know. It doesn't, it doesn't even make sense. It'll I'll just like my brain turns off. You were basically an offensive line, but it doesn't turn off. First play of the Super Bowl, where you're like, "I'm so ready. I'm getting myself geeked up. I'm gonna knock the bleep then, out like, of this guy across the ball me. gets snapped, and, the ball and, you snapped even... and you're just standing there. You yeah. haven't even realized it's been yeah. snapped yet. That's that's kind of how I felt. But yeah. now, now you're ready for the rest of the game. But now, yeah, now every other play, <laughs> I am ready. We're gonna be joined by Brian Haney at 4:40, voice of the Jayhawks. We have a phenomenal four RCST trivia matchup today coming up right before Brian. It's gonna air around 4:10. I will tell you this: they put the phenomenal in phenomenal four. Heck of a matchup yeah. between Brian and Isaac to determine who is going to the championship game. So stick around for that coming up in the four o'clock hour. We uh, also have into the transfer portal coming up later this hour. And in the 5 o'clock hour, we're unveiling a new summer segment. It is called Jayhawks Rewind, or KU Football Rewind. Jayhawks right Rewind. Now. Yes. And we are going to be going back once a week. We'll do this on Thursdays, you know, throwback Thursday type of thing. And we will relive one past, we'll just go in order, KU football game, and kind of th- go back and, and put Almost ourselves like back in the frame travel. of mind. Yeah, a little yeah. bit. But also kind of what can with, we learn with, from it. Yeah, with some hindsight. Exactly. And uh, we'll be doing one of those games today. Coming up in the 5 o'clock hour. Off the top here, though, um, I wanted to discuss with KU their roster. They're sitting at 11 scholarship players. They could add another player if they really wanted to. I guess, hypothetically, they could add two and just take even more scholarship losses in future years. (laughs) That obviously won't happen. But at this point in time, it feels very much like Kansas is going to stick at 11. And... I guess the the one kind of caveat here would be, could they still look into a guy like Grant Nelson, uh, right? Obviously, we know like Arthur Paluma and Paluma. Paluma. Um, Kaluma, um, like Puma, the shoe? No, I was thinking of like, uh, I think it's a Paloma. Paloma, it's like a, a drink, right? I don't know what that is. It's like an alcoholic drink, I, I believe. I think you're making something up. No, it's a, uh, it's a grapefruit flavored soda such as Fresca, Squirt, or Haritos served on the rocks with a lime, wedge, and tequila. What? Yeah. But salt on the rim. I I disagree. <laughs> you disagree. Uh, disagree. But yeah, no. Arthur uh, Kaluma and Zion Pullen are both still out there. Like those are guys that I think in Pullen's case should, there was talk about contact with Kaluma. It was just like, oh well, this would we make sense. Make a drink called Kaluma instead. <laughs> you could put. I mean, there's Kalua. I don't know what that is either. Okay, well, I'm not very well versed in, <laughs> in drinks. Well, that's okay. That's okay. Nothing wrong with that. Um. 
But yeah, so I mean, is is Grant Nelson still an option? Is one of these players still an option? I think if you read between the lines, you would find the answer to be no. But should it be? Yeah, so, I mean, okay, it's basically like, are they an option? Yes. Is it like a realistic option? Right. Maybe not. And I guess so this much. goes back yesterday we had Kevin Flaherty on from 24-7 Sports, and he kind of yeah. said something to the idea of, I would maintain, though, that if you're Kansas and one of these kids wants to come to your school, you don't decline that. Well, I thought Bill Self made it. I thought Kevin Flaherty made a great point about Bill Self in that when has Bill Self ever been like, you know what, there's this talented guy that is interested in KU. Nah. Nah. Pass. Right. <laughs> Pass. Like, that's that's just not his. That's not what he's ever done, ever. No, right? Of course. So, so yeah, if, if Grant Nelson calls up KU and is like, hey, I like KU. I'm interested in KU. KU is not going to be like click. They're going to be like, oh, okay, cool. You know, let's let's continue these. Let's let's continue this conversation. And then you know, if if you if you do really really want to come here, then absolutely come yeah. on down. Yeah. So uh, you know, it's 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 kind of maybe to the idea that is KU like actively really pushing to pursue a Grant Nelson or Arthur Kluma or whoever else. Maybe not, but they're definitely not just turning people away. They're definitely not just being like, nah, we're good. Thanks. Try again next year or whatever. So I, I don't know. That, that's kind of how I feel. Now, obviously, with like the Grant Nelson situation, you have KJ Adams and a guy who has certainly been through the ringer with KU for multiple years now and was most improved player of the year while playing a new position last year. Now it looks like he's going to be slated to play more his regular position, the four position with, with Hunter Dickinson. But if you bring in a guy like Grant Nelson, does that cause some friction there? Does sure. that cause some kind of rift there, uh, which which could cause you know future problems? Yeah. Right? I think right now, with the way the roster is right now with the 11 players on scholarship that you have, you feel pretty good about the gelling of all the different personalities, of all the different play styles, and there's not going to be a whole lot of stepping on other people's toes, really, right? You feel pretty good about that, right? Hunter Dickinson's locked in. KJ Adams right now is pretty much locked in. Kevin McCullough's locked in. Dewan Harris is locked in. And then you got Timberlake, El Marco, Arturio, guys that are going to be kind of your rotational guards, whatever, however that shakes out. But regardless, you feel pretty good about the idea of this, the roster as it currently is, coming together and, and forming a team, right? And we and we've talked about previously on the show, you know what happens if there is rifts, right? Well, if you bring in Grant Nelson, that leads you potentially to be causing a rift. Yeah. If you bring in Arthur Kaluma, then Kevin McCullough might be like, "Dude, I came back for what? Right? Like, why did I? Why am I even here?" So it's like, it's 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 an interesting situation for KU to be in because right, like those guys are top flight talents that were in the NBA draft for a reason, and if they're available and they want to come to KU and you're KU, like it's it becomes really difficult to to not entertain that that idea. Right. I, I think the way to, to put it is that KU is just sitting back and yeah, if one of those guys approaches KU and is like, they're hey, not I really actively, want to come here. Yeah. I don't not, feel like they're actively going out there, but again, they're not gonna be like, nah. No, they're they're not doing the work there. And I think that um from a KU perspective, part of that could be intentional. 
to a certain point in time. But oh, like, for sure. Read a bit between the lines here. So Zion Poland, this is from Tipton Edits last night. Uh, he cut his list to five schools. Florida, Gonzaga, LSU, Michigan, Xavier. You know who wasn't on that? Kansas. You know who, if they were going after him, probably would be on that? Kansas, right? <laughs> so, like, that tells you they're not going for him. Uh, this was from Jeff Borzello. Arthur Kaluma uh, is withdrawing from the draft, returning to college with Alabama, Texas, Texas Tech, Kentucky among those in pursuit. Pursuit. Now, that leaves it a little bit more open-ended that, like, oh, maybe somebody else could get there in pursuit. But, again, you would think if Kansas was all aboard, exactly. they, they would get listed in, in that name. They right? would be in immediately. Yes, it's because like Kansas not, it's is not, a notable school that you yeah, add on to those and lists. And it's not like KU is going to be not pursuing a guy and then – they might decide to pursue them yeah. later because they're set right now. There's, right. There shouldn't be any other more changes. Well, and I think in terms of the intentionality of it, um, think about it this way if you're Kansas. You probably used a bunch of NIL money to reel in Hunter Dickinson, bring Kevin McCuller back, and then keep the current guys on the roster happy, whether it's new other players incoming or, like, yeah. you know, got to take care of Dewan Harris still, right? And, yeah. you know, KJ Adams and, and stuff yeah. like that. And, I mean, um, as much as we praise KU for their structure of NIL and, like, being, you know— kind of ahead of the curve a little bit compared to maybe some other schools. It's not like they just have un- un- unlimited right. money. Right. And so to that notion, if you are in a hard core recruiting battle for Grant Nelson with whatever other schools or Arthur Kaluma with your Alabamas or Arkansas or whoever it is, you're going to have Dude, to drive up the... It's too early in the show to be bringing up okay, Arkansas. Okay. You're going to have to drive up the NIL money. And if you play it this way where it's like, Hey, listen, we're fine without you. If you really want to come here, we'll still take it. You'll still get NIL money. Oh, like we do sure. a bunch of stuff in the community. We have mastery strategies that takes care of a bunch of stuff. We have the barnstorming too. Like we have all these things that you'll still make a good amount of money here, but we're not going to promise you. We're not going to give you these, this million dollar promise that maybe we'd give some of these other players because we're fine with what it is. And so if you're going to get one of these players, it is going to be to the notion of I'm just coming there because I really want to come there. I, it's not about the NIL money. So I think there is a little bit of intentionality there for KU where, yeah, if Grant Nelson turned around today and was like, you know what? I know this school's offering me 500K and I know I might only get 100,000 at Kansas, um, only in quotation marks. Um, that Kansas is like, okay, cool. We'll take you at that point in time. I think Grant Nelson, though, is has become the one kind of guy for me where it's still like, like with Arthur Kaluma, I feel like the door is shut. With Zion Poland, yeah. obviously, door is shut. Yeah. With Grant Nelson, I feel like there might be still a cracking the door open but even then i feel like it's getting close to being shut 100 percent. well and listen think about it this way one of the metric sites that you like to use bart torvik ku's number one not anymore right now. what they're not no they got passed yeah god well i didn't even dude this is why i need to do a better job of doing show research idiot you're gonna be so mad when you find out who number one is <laughs> i mean i'm confused is it i mean it's obviously it can't be like Duke or Tennessee or whatever. No, it was a player who, or it was a team who rose up, rose up. There we go. Who rose up the ranks because a player that Bart Torvik was not expecting to be back on the team decided to come back to college. Um, I don't know. Purdue. Oh, Zach Eady yeah. put him all the way number one. Yeah, that's ridiculous. That's so stupid. I mean, every team who's lost as a one seed to a sixteen where was he at has before? gone on to win the title the next year. <laughs> That's the dumbest stat <laughs> I think I've ever heard in my entire life. Yeah, that if, is the dumbest stat I've ever heard. If in my I'm entire sitting life. there and I'm Kansas and and you're like, yeah, we're number two, but number one's Purdue. I'm like, ah, that's fine. You know? Yeah, because what's what, Purdue's not gonna win, Jack? Hey, okay. Actually, I was thinking about this. Think about this for Purdue. 
the last three tournaments that Purdue has been in, they lost to a 14, they lost to a 15, and they just lost to a 16. So yeah. all they need to do to complete the the quadruple hit, whatever, is to lose to a 13. The square of suck. Is to lose to a 13. <laughs> yeah. So imagine if they, or no, they lose to a 14 because they lost to a 13. They lost to a 13 okay. three years ago. Then they lost to a 15 or St. Peter's, Peter's, and then 16 then they lost to, yeah. So yeah, so if they get a three seed in the tournament and then and get they, upended yes. in the first round. Then they would have, then in four consecutive tournaments, they would have lost to 13, 14, 15, yeah. 16. Bingo. Or I guess, yeah, something. Whatever, yeah, but like pain. Yeah. But anyway, like to your okay, point. Okay, well, that's stupid. Yeah. Okay, my bad. Sorry KU to interrupt you there. is number two in Bart Torvik. Okay, big whoop. But that's what the team as it is right now. Mm-hmm. So the idea that like kind of what we're kind of the uh, what we're circling around here is like, does KU need to add anybody? No, no, they're they're fine. The roster right now is in a position to be a top three, four, five team in the country as it is right now today. June 1st. So they don't need to go get anybody else, really. Because, you know, obviously, I guess in college basketball, it's like an arms race, but none of these other teams are probably going to add a guy that's going to make them that much better. Mm. Right? Besides, I guess, Purdue with Zach yeah. Eadie. What was Purdue before, I wonder? I don't know. Um, like, what is Zach Eadie worth? Yeah, that's a wonderful question. Because That sounds kind of messed up to say that. Well, way, but, but it's like, all... What, like, <laughs> yeah. Like, what... what <laughs> what are you contributing to society? No, I. It's also tough because it's like I can't. There's no way I'm going to be able to pull up. Okay, I think they were number. I don't know if that's right. They're number thirty-one. What? Right? No, I don't think that's right. That's not right. Um, I mean, dude, he was a national player of the year, but is he that good? I mean, I get it. He's seven four, but like, oh, good job, you're seven four. Like, what else? Well, I'll say this: <laughs> is that was that was that mean for someone who wants to uh, bet on Hunter Dickinson National Player of the Year and Donovan Klingon National Player of the Year? Good for the betting odds. Um, but yeah, I, yeah, there's no way of me being able to look at this as being like because it, it wasn't just Purdue might have been X, and there were other draft decisions, and yeah. that happened right that that might have affected it. I sure. don't know where they were before. I'll I'll try to find that. Um, but I wonder where Kentucky's at. By the way, Creighton is number three. With um, didn't they okay, jumped? Is Duke. Trey Alexander going back? Or, I'm sorry, Tennessee is three, Creighton is four. Duke jumped, dropped the five. Trey Alexander's going back to Creighton, right? Yes, Trey Alexander's going and back. Kalkbrenner. Ryan Kalkbrenner's going back, and so they lost to the portal. And them hard, they might lose. Kaluma. They lost to the portal. Um, what if Kluma just goes back to Creighton? Is that is that insane? I haven't been plugged in enough no, I don't to think like crazy. who what he's what his situation is to know if that's even a possibility. Yeah, for sure. Um, but anyway, back to the KU side. Okay. Side of this. Sorry, back to KU. Yeah. I am to the point now where I would be surprised if KU added anybody else, if they added a Grant Nelson, if they added something like that. What would that, you do, though? Forget what you think is going to happen. What would you do? Like, would you add another you player? Would, would you add Grant I, Nelson? Would if, you, what if would I'm, you do? If I'm Bill Self? Yeah, you are the Bill Self has hired you as GM of the Kansas basketball team. Well, I think... I would probably do exactly what KU's doing right now, which is just kind of holding steady and being like, okay, listen, we were really aggressive and got a lot of the targets that we were trying to get, and we feel pretty good about things as they stand. Plus, we have to consider our scholarship production that we're looking at. So do we want to go ahead and just take two scholarship productions this year? That way we'll have to take one more of the next two years. Like, is like That might be the smart thing to do because, again – you, you're looking at a team right now where 
you could take two scholarship productions this year and you've still got a top five team, a top three team. So I, if I were the GM of KU basketball, I would not be pressed to go out and try to get Grant Nelson or whatever. Now, does that mean that I wouldn't be trying to put out some feelers to see what you know the interest level is of like Grant Nelson or whoever? Yeah, no, I would definitely be doing that. I would definitely be reaching out, being like, "Hey, this is the GM of KU basketball. <laughs> what respect what, me? What are your what are your thoughts?" But no, I'm not. I'm not. I'm not going super aggressive because listen, I, I I mean I don't know this obviously, but. Do you think if there's any possibility of like just portal fatigue, just being like, oh. just being, just the idea of like, we've spent the past three months so aggressively, you know, talking NIL, calling up recruits, whatever, and like now we have a pretty good team. What if it's, what if they're just like, you know what, this, this is fine. I'm, I, I'm tired of, I'm tired of chasing my tail trying to call different recruits, whatever, and I just, whatever. Yeah. You know, I mean, that goes back in line with just kind of letting them approach you if you if you really want to. I guess from my standpoint, um, I I would be all in on the Grant Nelson thing. I I understand why you're not going for Kaluma or Pullin because it's like, well, how many minutes do you even I mean, have to the, give? Yeah, for well, I mean, what's Pullen, the point right? of Kevin McCullough coming back if you're just going to go dr- right. get Kaluma? Right, and if you get Kaluma, does it upset KJ Adams? Like, are you playing Kaluma at the four without? Right, you don't need to deal with that. The beauty yeah. with Grant Nelson is that he gives you. He can play the four or the five for you. So he gives you coverage in case of foul trouble or injury to Hunter Dickinson. He could play the four for you. And I believe if the wouldn't be eligible till the second semester thing is right, that is perfect for KU because it gives you the first semester to make KJ to the starter, to see what he can do on the wing, to get more minutes for some of your freshman players. And then because he'd be joining midway through the season, it would be easy enough for Bill Self to explain like, hey, you're going to come off the bench. You'll still play 20, 25 minutes a game, but... You know, this yeah. is what it is, and and that would be easy to explain. And if he's sticking, if Bill Self does his what Bill Self does, mm-hmm. he would stick with the veteran guy that's been in right. the program already, anyways. In KJ Adams, so that makes a ton of sense to me. And and the biggest thing that I would be worried about: eleven scholarship players is more than enough for the rotation Bill Self wants to play. By the time Correct. we get to the end of the year, it might it's be only seven be guys, seven anyway. Exactly, and for a lot of Big Twelve play, it might be eight. But. I mean, I, so I don't know where enough. I don't know where you're going with this, but I'm I'm thinking injury. Injury, exactly. Yeah, okay, yeah. Well, on the and, same page. And I guess hypothetically, you could say, well, because like, dude, if Hunter Dickinson is out for any more than like a week or two, yeah, what is KU gonna do? Exactly. <laughs> and it's like, <laughs> what are they gonna do? In theory, you could say, well, does it matter even if you have Arthur Kaluma or Grant Nelson? Even if Hunter Dickinson's out, doesn't that hurt? I would argue that if you have Grant Nelson, it gives you coverage in case of a Hunter Dickinson oh, injury, right? Absolutely. To where you could still be one of the best teams in the country if that happens. Yeah. And I think that because point- if one of right now, if one of KJ Adams or Hunter Dickinson have to miss any extended period of time, you're rolling out Parker Brown. Yes, I, I guess. Yeah. I don't know. I mean, what what other option do you have? No, exactly. So like. I, I look at a KU team that has had big men get injured all the time headed into the tournament. Joel Embiid, Yudoka Azubuike a couple times. And again, we talked about that just last year. Mm-hmm. It was a position where going into the year, you were like, oh, this yeah. is great. We got a ton of depth. And then all of a sudden, bam, yeah. boom, boom, done. Dave was dealing with foot injury and COVID over a couple different years with KU. Go- like KU has had their big men have those injuries. And then you have Kevin McCuller on the roster who, uh, what, Kevin missed... Two or three games last year. I mean, he was not 100%. He was injured in the Big 12 tournament. Good chunk of games. Yeah, he was injured going into the NCAA tournament. He also, um, his three seasons at Texas Tech, played a combined 
78 games. Now, I don't think Hunter Dickinson has any real injury history from Michigan. Though. No, I don't think so. Um, but so. he so he played 78 games as a team. They played, I think, 97 did Tech. So he missed about 20 games over three years. So basically the point that I'm making here is that you would like to have somebody for coverage. And I, I think... Yeah, I mean, as much as Bill Self wants to shine and talk about how great Parker Brown is... Mm-hmm. I gotta see it. Well, and that's, <laughs> I mean, I'm not. I'm not sitting here saying, "Oh, we're fine." Parker right. Brown coming off the mitt. No, no. Well, and, and the Grant Nelson as much thing, as Bill Self wants to say, "Oh, he's more athletic than Christian Brown." No, the Grant Nelson thing to me works well anyway because if you play Hunter Dickinson 30 minutes at the five, you still have 50 minutes to divvy out between the four and the five for KJ Adams and Grant Nelson. That's 25 minutes a pop. Boom. That's fine. And that you have the injury coverage. Yeah. So if I have a preference. That's what I would do, but I, I do understand the appeals to staying at 11, knocking out one of the other scholarships in the scholarship reduction, not upsetting anyone else. I get it. I would just be going a different avenue, but that's fine. Yeah, I mean, I, I think it's I, the injury question. I'm glad we brought that up because that, that definitely is probably the biggest thing. Because, you know, I mean, besides Dewan, setting Dewan aside, if like, El Marco has, is dealing with some injuries or Arterio Morris is dealing with some injuries, like you feel pretty fine that you can still reconfigure yeah. your backcourt. But again, if you lose KJ Adams to Hunter Dickinson for any amount of extended multiple games, it's Parker Brown season. And I don't know what kind of season that's going to be. Is it going to be happy sunshine and rainbow season or is it going to be depressed, miserable season? <laughs> He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. Uh, we're going to talk a little more about the transfer portal coming up in uh, the 340 segment. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on KLWN. Depend on it. Welcome back into Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson, and it is that time on a Thursday to go into the transfer portal. There is a fifth dimension beyond that which is known to the average basketball fan. It is a dimension as large as Wilt and as timeless as Perry Ellis. It is the middle ground between staying and leaving, between wins and losses, and it lies between the pit of recruiting and entrance to the NBA. This is the dimension of new schools. It is an area which we call the transfer portal. And now we go into the transfer portal. Uh, this will kind of tie in with our conversation that we had to open up the show a little bit. Who knows if KU is actually really going for any of these guys, but you know, if somebody shows up on your front door and yep. says, hey, I want to play this there. This is why we go into the portal, because exactly. we don't know what we're going to find. We don't. We just like, go hey, in I don't need a lot of NIL money. I don't know. You know. I just want to contribute on a winning team. Let's do it. Um, Malcolm Dandridge is a Who? six foot nine, two hundred and sixty pound forward from Memphis, Tennessee. Wait, how big? Six nine, two sixty. Big, that is big a, guy. That's a big boy. Yes, and that's he, like that's like almost three of me. Well, okay, this this would be similar to like a Tark Black. Uh, you brought Tark Black in from Memphis as this experienced big man who, you know, wasn't going to be like an All-American when he came in, but fit a certain role. Um, he Last season in Memphis, he was a senior, so he'll be a fifth-year player in his last year. 5.7 points per game, 3.6 rebounds in 14 and a half minutes, shot 58% from the floor, didn't shoot any threes, 76% at the foul line, block per game. Like He's just a solid backup big. Would you entertain this at all? Because there was a, a tweet from the Portal Report um, that said that he has received interest from long litany of schools, and on there is Kansas. 
Yeah, I think with a player like this, it comes down to what KU, what's KU's comfort level with Parker Brown. Because this guy sounds like he would be basically exactly what Parker Brown looks like he's going to be for KU. A backup guy who was playing, you know, X number of minutes, not very many minutes. But if KU feels pretty comfortable with Parker Brown, which based on if you listen to some of Bill Self's comments, he feels very good about Parker Brown. I don't know how likely it is that KU would entertain getting basically a second Parker Brown. So because of that, I'm I'm a little skeptical of some of a player like this because because of the fact that KU got Parker Brown and Bill Self has been vocal about how he feels about Parker Brown in a positive way for his role. So I just don't think that because listen. With the scholarship situation that we highlighted with KU, I don't think KU is just going to be going to grab another bench guy just for the hell of it, right? They probably would rather just take that scholarship reduction as part of their self-imposed sections. So this is a guy where you already have Parker Brown. So I feel like this is a situation where KU would probably pass on this. But, uh, you know, it never hurts to do your due diligence. No, it doesn't. And this could be one of those where it's reported interest and it's oh, yeah. something where it's like to somebody's up trying the list. to inflate something or do. Yeah, you know. because you look at the other schools on this list and it's it's not to the same caliber there. Now, to be fair, Kansas for the backup big man is looking at a very specific, or at least they were if this was previously, uh, looking for a very specific type. It wasn't, yes. you know, your top tier, but you're let you have. UT Arlington, Cal, Austin P, LSU, <laughs> Tulsa. Like, I guess Oklahoma State, so Auburn, KU's on Kansas the same, State's on there, but still. KU's on the, in the same list as the worst Power 5 team <laughs> ever. UCF was on there. In future Cal. Big 12 school. Probably the worst team in the Big 12 this uh, upcoming year. Um, I, I think here's where it would make a little bit of sense to me. You could have Dandridge come in, and you have a competition between Brown and Dandridge to be the backup center. And then that gives you even more coverage in case of injury. Yeah, I mean, you have some more depth. Sure. And then basically that would allow you to, if you have Dandridge and Brown, where one of them is your backup center, the other one's the emergency center, uh, all of your minutes of KJ are at the four. And if all of your minutes of KJ are at the four, that in theory gives you more coverage um, at the three and four position where Kevin's playing the three and where you would basically have a little bit more depth there, where it wouldn't yeah. be the worst thing in the world. But I think going back to the conversation we had in the open about, for me, the biggest reason to add a 12th man would be if it's a talented player that gives you coverage in case of injury. And yes. the reason we brought up Grant Nelson was because, like, he's one of the best transfers out there. And so yeah. to that notion— I mean, He's probably number one right now. Exactly. So if Hunter Dickinson gets hurt for two weeks and Grant Nelson has to slide to the five— you could still be a really good team yes, with Grant Nelson have, at the five and KJ at the four. You know, arguably right? like the second or third best big guy after Hunter Dickinson. Right. So you would still be a really good team. The problem with doing this is it's just adding a player to add a player where it's like yes, exactly. in this scenario, if you add Malcolm Dandridge and then Hunter Dickinson gets hurt, you're like, kind of screwed either way. Obviously, if Parker Brown didn't exist, this would make this would make a lot more sense. But Agreed. you've already checked off that box of what KU was looking for with Parker Brown. Agreed. Okay, um, how about this one? Uh, kind of the same notion a little bit, but slightly different. Adrame Diangu. I don't. I, I think that's the right way to pronounce it. So he is a... Diangue? It could be. Um, he is a 7-foot, 190-pound center. Whoa! From Washington State. Um, 190-pound <laughs> 7-footer. I mean, what does Dewan Harris weigh, out of curiosity? <laughs> He's got to be like 170, right? 6'1", 175. 
So, so this kid has, 15 has almost a foot on a whole Dewan, foot. and he's given. He's only has another 15 pounds. So that would clearly be a, a thing that you would have to, to work yeah, with. Some development. But he and, is, okay, this is where I think what you were saying makes makes the situation yeah. a little different. Is like you could be looking to add a guy like that as a long term development project. Correct. Because right? so like the, with the Dandridge situation, he's a graduate transfer, one year. like one year, whatever, right? This is a guy that you could technically maybe add and be like, hey, you're going to come in and you're going to redshirt and you're going to beef up a right. little bit and, you know, learn how to, you know, play at the at the Kansas yeah, level. Yeah, it's, it's clear he's seen as having high potential. I mean, he's a seven-footer. He came in as a top 50 recruit in the country. He was actually recruited by KU. He played 23 games at Washington State. Just six minutes per game because probably still trying to add strength. 1.3 points, 1.8 rebounds. That doesn't jump off the page. But in an era where a lot of the freshmen that you're going to bring on are just going to end up transferring out of the program. Potentially, yeah. There is some beauty to the idea of adding a player who would be just a second-year player. And like you said, if you bring him in and redshirt him, and then if there is some sort of injury, you can always burn that red shirt and cross that bridge when you get there, just having an extra insurance piece. But you redshirt him, and you try to develop that. And because he has already used, at that point, his one free transfer to go from Washington State to Kansas, it would decrease the likelihood of him transferring out of the program again, which would give you a more guaranteed length of having time to develop him. Now, the flip side to that, though, is that as much as I'm sure there are certain players that Bill Self is like, ah, I wish you stuck around or I wish we could keep you around to develop you. There are other players where he's like, ah, I'm fine kind of having you get a better opportunity at a different school. And if you have a player where that happened, it's harder <laughs> to kind of boot them or, or show them well, the door. And I do wonder if Bill Self is thinking or, you know, maybe many other coaches around the country, country are thinking with, with a player like this in the portal, like – Okay, yeah, you can bring him on as like a development guy for a couple of years, or you could just go get a, a, a Hunter Dickinson level transfer in the portal next year or the year after that. Like, like is it is it almost is it almost better in some sense to? And, I'm not, and again, I think Bill Self did a great job when we played his audio saying like this is bad for the sport, but it's kind of smart if you just say okay, well next year we'll just we'll just go get Hunter Dickinson 2.0, whoever that might be, and the year after that we'll just get Hunter Dickinson 3.0, whoever that might be. So, like, why would we even bother wasting a scholarship on a guy that's yeah. going to be a development guy for two years, maybe, and he still might not even be that good at that point? Yeah, that, that's 100% a good reason to do it. Uh, this this is what would be interesting to me if you bring on Diangu. What if Hunter Dickinson does stay for a second year at KU? And then at that point, you're in the same boat next year that you were in this year when you're just in you love with the idea. Brown. You're just in love with the idea of replicating what UConn did this year. Having an elite big guy no, plus no. Like a seven foot guy well, off the bench. I did. Yes, I would be in love with that. But I just mean from a standpoint of like, let's let's fast forward to next offseason. If Hunter Dickinson d did come back for that second year at KU, KU would be in the same spot in the offseason they were this offseason after landing Dickinson, where you know a lot of the different big men or centers that maybe they would approach in the portal would probably be like, no, I'm not coming there. I'm only going to get you know five eight minutes per game, if anything. Yeah. Um. If you bring this kid in. Red you're already the covered. first year, yeah, you're and then covered. you just say, oh, well, good. He's our backup big man next year, and you're covered in that situation, and the yeah. role is kind of known. I think that one makes more sense than the Dandridge one. I agree. Again, I still don't expect it to happen, and it doesn't move the needle in case of injury, but that one I think would make at least some sense. And then yeah. the uh, kind of – I have the still question mark column. That's a new <laughs> column we've had this week. We don't have any hmms, unfortunately. No more hmms. No. Uh, this might be honestly the last week we do this. Yeah. I mean, you're kind I mean, of running out. I mean, at this point, there's not many like notable guys left. 
KU's maybe kind of done already as it is. But Arthur Kaluma, Zion Polin, Grant Nelson, we talked about him earlier on in the show. Yeah. With Kaluma, doesn't seem likely. Um, if I were to give percentages on all these three, chances they wind up at Kansas. Poland released his top five. Kansas isn't in it. So zero percent. So that means zero. Zero <laughs> percent. I guess yeah, you can't say anything's wow. impossible. That's a really bold that's a really bold percentage well, of you to give. Zero. Well, no, remember Caden Shedrick had his like finalist of like eighteen and then he I like, don't care about Caden Shedrick. No, 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 okay? but here's why I say he this. just made a list of ten thousand schools. He's like, oh, I've narrowed my list to every school in the country. No, but then do you remember he added more schools and he was like, I have to redo that, the list. That's what I'm saying. Right. He narrowed he narrowed his list, but added how does that even make sense? Yeah, so that's what I'm saying. So even though Zion Poland said this is my final five, if KU really like all of a sudden just woke, if Bill Self just woke up today and was like, actually, I am going to offer Zion Poland, <laughs> he'd probably be like, ah, I've added a new school into my list, right? So I, I'll put 0.0001% on Zion Poland. Okay. Um, Arthur Kaluma, I will put 0.1%. So again, very little chance. I don't think he's released the finalist list. Kansas hasn't been seen on, on any of those. And I think Kaluma would want to come in and be a starter. And I think ideally for Kansas, they want KJ to start the year and, as the and, starter. And you got Kevin. Kevin McCuller as well. So uh, I'll put a little bit there. Plus, you have a lot of competition. Other schools you could go to. Grant Nelson, I'll put a 1% tag on. No, I'll, that seems low. I'll go... Uh, I was going to go... See, I, 3.4%. I think I put 15 to 20% on Kevin coming back, and I put 10 to 15% somewhere in that range on Grady coming back. Um, so in theory, I feel like Grant Nelson happening is a higher percentage. I'm pretty sure I was dead wrong on Kevin. Because I think I said that... Oh, we both were. Well, I'm pretty sure that I had an even lower percentage than you did. It just didn't seem likely. It I mean, really he went through senior day, all this stuff. Uh, okay, maybe I'll say 10% for Grant Nelson. Okay. Still very That's, unlikely. That seems pretty high to me. That honest. does seem high. I'm going 3.4%. Because I guess if it was just a theory of KU does want Grant Nelson, then the percentage would be way higher. But it's like, does KU even want anybody more? So maybe it is only I am like going to make a bold claim. Uh-huh. Dion Poland, 0%. Ah, so you're eliminating all possibility. Yes. Zero. Now Marco Jackson decommits from KU tomorrow, and they're like, we need another guard. That would be bad. Hmm. That would be the to be opposite. Clear, that was not me saying anything's going to happen. That, that would just that would be the opposite of good. Reckless fun. Okay, uh, that'll go uh, into the transfer Oh, I was. Portal. You didn't give me. I didn't oh, give a chance sorry. to give a percentage yeah, on yeah. Kaluma. Oh, go for wow. it. Wow, that's kind of rude of you. Sorry, just cutting me off like that. I'll say, I'll say, point seven percent. Okay, cool. So uh, unlikely on all of those, to say the least. All right, that could be our final into the transfer portal of the offseason. It's kind of no. sad. Yeah. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. This is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. One hour down, two to go. RCST Trivia Phenomenal 4. Brian Haney, both of those coming up in the 4 o'clock hour. We'll be back after this timeout. Welcome back in to Rock Chalk Sports Talk on KLWN. We get ready for our first Phenomenal 4 matchup. We'll have our second one tomorrow between Kyle Martin and Justin Nichols. But today we have the 4-seed Brian Rainey and the 3-seed Isaac Henderson. It's time, baby. It is time. time. For the Phenomenal 4. I'm Come so on. excited. RCST Trivia is brought to you by Johnny's Tavern, Pella Windows and Doors, 23rd Street Brewery, River App Print and Skate, Mini Jerseys, Jayhawk Trophy, Homefield Apparel, Sporting KC2, McDonald's, and Mr. D's Auto Wash. It was Brian winning the 23rd Street Brewery region. Check out 
out 23rd Street Brewery. Great spot to watch all the games, whether you're watching the NBA Finals, NHL Final, or Stanley Cup over the course of the next couple weeks. You can check out the outdoor patio with the weather heating up. They've got umbrellas out there, so you can still get a little shade. They've got great service, great beer, and great food. Try the new Fitzgerald Reuben, and uh, they'll actually be hosting another Hawk Talk with Dan Fitzgerald on Monday. Check them out in Lawrence at 23rd Street Brewery. Isaac, meanwhile, the winner of the Riverette Print and Skate Region. Riverette has screen printing and a skate shop, embroidery and promotional products also available with art and logo creation, and they're KU licensed. They have skateboards, longboards, paddle boards, and safety gear, and a large selection of shoes and apparel from well-known skate brands. They can help you out with any custom apparel like our trivia shirts, our trivia hats. I just picked up the Phenomenal Four trivia hats. They're awesome. Uh, We got the baby blue, the powder blue with the trivia logo on the side. We put up a, a picture of them on our uh, Twitter account at RCST1320. You can give Riverat a follow on Instagram at river underscore rat underscore print for the print shop and at Riverat skate shop, all one word for the skate side or give them a call at 785-371-1660. So you have been a big Brian Rainey fan all the way through yes. here, but Isaac is a Titan, man. He, uh, this, is, this is going to be a tough matchup for sure. But listen, if there's anybody that I think is capable of taking down Isaac, to me, it's Brian. And here's why. I don't think anybody out of our four uh, final Phenomenal Four contestants has been more battle-tested than Brian has. Go back to his first-round matchup against Garrett, who at that time, this was his first entrance into the tournament. We didn't know about Garrett. They went to the really hard round in the first round, very first matchup. Brian was tested to the limit in the first round. He survived that, and then then he continued to advance, continued to battle through. Faced off against Andrew Wymore in the in the in the Grade Eight, which was another tough matchup. He also knocked out uh, Chris see. Freeman, Chris, who was yeah, our, our really good sixteen. Yeah, yeah, one of our sixteens. He knocked out Chris Freeman too. So, a phenomenal run from Brian, worthy of the phenomenal four, and he's been battle tested. He, I think he can do it. I think he can do it. I understand that Isaac's tough and that this guy's a machine, but I'm I'm rooting for Brian here. Okay, wow, we're rooting for him. I just want a good matchup. We'll see if we get that. But first, let's fully introduce the contestants to our PA man, Joel Becker. It's been a year of firsts for Brian Rainey, his first grade eight, and now his first phenomenal four. Now he's hoping to finish first with a title run. Reflective of his name, opponents have nicknamed him Brian Paney for the destructive path he has left en route to this point going 17-1 and one on questions, and now headed to this semifinals appearance, the winner of the 23rd Street Brewery region, Brian Rainey. While this has been the year of the upset and many breakthroughs, this has been a year of redemption for Isaac Henderson. Initially dubbed the Wunderkind in the inaugural 2020 tournament, Isaac went from title to runner-up to second-round exit. But now, as Joe Tessitore once said about Texas, Isaac is back. Going 14-0 on questions during his path to the Phenomenal Four, the victor of the River Rat print and skate region, Isaac Henderson. Allow me to reintroduce myself. My name is Ho. Oh, H to the O V. I used to move snowflakes by the O Z. I guess even back then you can call me. Well, thank you, Joel, and uh, fun little introduction there. Four seed Brian yeah, Rainey. Dude, if, three that seed Isaac if that doesn't get you hype, I don't know what else will. I mean, what? 
dude, the, the, the blood is pumping here. Come yeah. on. Well, this is the third phenomenal four for Isaac. It's the first for Brian Rainey. With that being said, let's get into the matchup. Well, to this point, both of you, Isaac and Brian, have accumulated a gift card to 23rd Street Brewery, a trivia t-shirt from River at Print and Skate, and tickets to a Sporting KC2 game. That was for making the Sizzling 16. Then for making the Grade 8, a blue or white number one Kansas basketball mini jersey from mini jerseys, a t-shirt from Home Field Apparel, a voucher for a free sandwich and breakfast sandwich at McDonald's, $14 car wash pass at Mr. D's Auto Wash, and auto entry into trivia for next year. Then for making the Phenomenal Four to this round, you will get a one seed, in trivia next year, you get a $50 gift card to Johnny's Tavern, a Johnny's Tavern hat, an RCST Trivia Phenomenal 4 t-shirt, an RCST Trivia Phenomenal 4 hat from River at Prince Skate, a Phenomenal 4 trophy. So a lot of prizes already acclimated for both of you. Whoever wins this matchup will move on to the title game where you will get a gift card to the 23rd Street Brewery. So another one from what you've already accumulated, an engraved water bottle or tumbler whatever you want to call it, from Jayhawk Trophy. Those things are awesome. And a $25 gift card to McDonald's. Loser will play in the third place game. Well, you'll you'll have a chance to win those same prizes in the third place game. But most importantly, if you win, you are one win away from being the RCST trivia champion, getting that big screen TV, giving that overnight stay at the Oriad from Pella Windows and Doors and just having the pride of being a champion. Most importantly, the trophy. The trophy. Yeah, we got the big trophy, too. It's got kind of the Super Bowl look to the the handle of it. Um, Isaac, I want to start with you here. You won in our initial version, so you did get the big screen TV, but I don't believe we had a trophy at that point. Is that extra motivation to get that hardware? Absolutely. Um, yeah, we started the, the trophy year two. Um, I've kind of been waiting to, to be grandfathered my trophy, but uh, I got to go and earn it the hard way. <laughs> Yeah, there you go. I, I would not stop you from. Maybe we should just one year just get you that. Nothing trophy is grandfathering here. No, I guess so. Uh, Brian, this is the furthest you've ever been in the tournament, and you were so elated after your grade eight victory. So, how do you turn that from enjoyment and happiness from winning to now trying to refocus and go another round further? I've been doing a lot of studying. And I was kind of nervous this morning when I woke up, but I asked myself, why am I so nervous when I get to do something that I love, which is talk about KU basketball? So I'm not nervous. I'm just ready. And let's have some fun. There you go. Let's have some fun. You're guaranteed two more matchups at this point because of that third place game. So you said you've been doing studying. Isaac, we were talking to you beforehand. You had your sister's wedding over the weekend. You have not been doing a ton of studying. So that becomes very interesting and in how that will uh, certainly impact this matchup here. Uh, Brian, I got to ask you, man, we have loved watching you. For, for the listeners, they can't see this because we're doing Zoom and, and this is Aaron on the radio. But you're always sitting outside. Are you in your backyard? Is this a, a calm, serene environment to help you through trivia? Yeah. Yes, it is. Yes, it is. And it's, um, it's, I got my dog running around. Can't see him. But, you know, I know you can hear the birds in the background, but yeah, it just kind of gives me a little sense of calm, I guess. I love it. I love the the outdoor ambiance. Isaac, where are you uh, doing this from? Are you just like taking a break from work and in an indoor wall somewhere? (laughs) This is, uh, yeah, typically just just take a few minutes uh find some space to uh dip out and, and, and do this but um you know the venue doesn't matter too much it's, it's all about what we got inside today so right, and i love getting to see brian's uh dog sitting over there i believe barkley was yeah. the name that's correct barkley middle name baby J. <laughs> yep, there we go <laughs> all right we'll see if barkley's any good luck for you um Brian, you are the lower seed here as the four. So you have the option. Do you want to go first or do you want to go second? 
gonna go with what's been working, so I'm gonna I'm gonna stick with going first. Hope I don't regret it. All right, first it is. It worked out for you last time with the order of what you ended up with. This is a matchup between Isaac and Brian. Isaac, the three seed, the winner of the River at Print Skate Region. Over the course of his uh, trivia career, he has gone 72-7 and seven on questions. Brian, meanwhile, the four seed, the winner of the 23rd Street Brewery Region, he has gone 33-5 and five in trivia questions all time. All right, into the easy round we go. Let's get rolling here. Brian, first one for you. This former Jayhawk one-and-done center now has made more than $360 million with the Philadelphia 76ers. What's his name? That's JoJo. Joel Embiid. That is Joel Embiid. JoJo, his nickname, that worked as well. I do accept nicknames, even though I do need the, the last name. Nicknames, we, we know who you're talking about. Um, okay, so that is the right answer, and he is a rich man. Isaac, your first question. This former Jayhawk one-and-done wing has now made more than $170 million with the Minnesota Timberwolves and the Golden State Warriors. Andrew Wiggins. That's right. Andrew Wiggins has made a boatload of money as well in the NBA. And for Embiid, he's probably going to get above $500 million by the time his career's done. And Wiggins, who knows, maybe he'll get above $300. All right, uh, back to you, Brian. We stick in the easy round. This Jayhawk sharpshooting freshman wing was all Big 12 second team this past season. Grady Dick. That's right, Grady Dick. All Big 12 second team averaged over 14 points per game. All right, Isaac, your second easy question. This Jayhawk transfer wing came into the program and was all Big 12 third team in 2023, led by his defense. What's his name? Kevin McCuller. That's right, Kevin McCuller transferred in all Big 12 third team and... Could be on an all-Big 12 awards team at the end of next year as well. All right, we're going to move up to the medium round and go back to you, Brian. In KU's 2019 Maui Invitational victory over Dayton in the championship game, what Jayhawk guard led the team with 31 points and five steals? I think that was D-Dot. Von Dotson is the correct answer there. Again, I will accept nicknames if it's clear of who it is, which that one I'm good with. 31 points and five steals for Devon Dotson. All right, Isaac, your first medium question. In that same 2019 Maui Invitational Championship game, KU beat Dayton in overtime. What Jayhawk was second on the team, only trailing Dotson, win points? He had 29 of them, but he ended up fouling out. Yudoka uh, Azabuki. That's right. The fouling out part of it, kind of the, the key one there for Doak. But still ended up with a great game. 60 points combined from the two of them. All right, second medium question. This one back to you, Brian. This Jayhawk led Kansas with 31 points scored against Missouri in the 2004 Big 12 tournament, which was the most ever scored by a Jayhawk in that setting. What's his name? 2004? Yes. I think that was Wayne Simeon. That was Wayne Simeon. Big dub with the answer. He could have gone with Wayne, could have gone with Keith Langford, but yeah, Wayne was the go-to guy there with 31 points. All right, Isaac, your second medium question to move us to the heart. This Jayhawk led Kansas with 21 rebounds against Texas Tech 
in the 2002 Big 12 tournament, the most ever rebounds by a Jayhawk in that setting? That'd be Drew Gooden. It would be Drew Gooden. Kind of the same one with the last one. You, you mainly had two options if you start thinking about it. You're thinking either Drew or Nick. The other one, you're thinking Wayne or Keith. But, yeah, those were the answers there. Drew Gooden, the right answer. 21 rebounds. All right, we're going to move up to the hard round, pick up the intensity. This is where we hope to get and deserve to get in a phenomenal four matchup winner plays for the championship game next week. All right, Brian, back to you. What seed did Kansas have? in the 1990 NCAA tournament in which they lost in the second round? Two seed. Quick answer. You knew it right away. Those 90s questions have been uh, big separators for a couple of our Phenomenal Four contestants, you and Kyle especially, and a hit one, a big one right there. Isaac, to stay alive. What seed did Kansas have in the 1992 NCAA tournament in which they also lost in the second round? be a one seed that would be a one seed and just like that you both get some 90s questions right all right we're gonna get another hard question we have not got to the really hard round ever since we switched to the two question per round format so we'll see if we can get there here brian in kansas's 1999 first round ncaa tournament win over evansville what jayhawk guard led the team with 17 points 99 Jeff Boshi. That is the correct answer. I think he was just a freshman at the time, but he had himself a heck of a tournament game. Woo. All right, Isaac, to move us to the really hard round. In KU's 2012 second round NCAA tournament win over Purdue, what Jayhawk guard led the team with 18 points? Said 2012. Yes. Well, it's 50-50. <laughs> um, Elijah Johnson. You guessed the right side of the coin. It seems like you were worried about that one being Tyshawn Taylor. But yeah, that mm -hmm. was a game that Elijah went off for KU and uh, really helped him along that tournament run. All right, we're moving up to the really hard round. This is where we were meant to be. Brian, back to you. Despite 19 points from Rick Suttle off the bench... Kansas lost in the 1974 Final Four by a score of 64 to 51 to what opponent? Oh wow, it's before my time. <laughs> uh, 70s questions, I'm just gonna guess UCLA. Never a bad guess in those 70s questions. I always say that. It's, you know, 80s Danny Manning, 50s Wilt Chamberlain, 70s guess UCLA. The correct answer though this time was Marquette. Marquette had a really good team, really good program in the 70s. All right, Isaac, chance to win it in the really hard round. In 1975, Kansas lost 77-71 to in the first round of the NCAA tournament behind a school record 39 fouls. They had a school record as well. Six different players foul out of the game. Who'd they lose to? That'd be Notre Dame. Woo! That is 
a championship-worthy question that gets you to the championship game. Isaac hitting on Notre Dame there. Uh, so, Isaac, how did you know the answer there? The uh, the, the tournament runs that's been a, been kind of a heavy focus uh, throughout this year of, of really just knowing they're going to come up at some point. So I've, I've probably written them down, ran through my head probably, probably 10 times since this tournament started. So any, any tournament year game, I feel pretty confident in that area. Uh, if wow. the questions would have been reversed there, would you have hit 74 then as well? Uh, 74 didn't, didn't know that one as well, but like I said, those, those third place final four games, those, they definitely <laughs> sure blend together. Brian, would you have remembered the, the Notre Dame one at all? Or, or was that, I know, I know you said seventies, that's kind of the lost era, so to speak. So would you've gotten that one as well? That's before my time. So yeah. I looked at, that's something that you, you can study in the media guide, but it doesn't really stick unless I really lived through it. So yeah. that's before my, my time. So, well, it, it, does that make you feel better at all about a loss here that you kind of just tip your cap to your opponent and you're like, you know, you got me? In a sense, yeah. If, if, if I don't know it, I just bet I don't know it. But there's times when I've gone out on a question that I should have known or I did know, but I just said the wrong thing. Those feel much worse. But if I don't know it, I just don't know it. Yeah. So. Well, either way, you but, still get to hang a banner. Phenomenal four. You'll still be playing in the third place game. Chance to win even more prizes on top of it. Isaac, you're moving on to the championship round. This will be your third championship appearance. You've won one. You've lost another. What does it take to win in that round? Uh, probably more so than anything. Uh, so some luck on some questions. Uh, two and one certainly sounds better than one and two in, in title games, though. So uh, I don't know if, if, if that puts the pressure on, on the people competing tomorrow or what, but uh, we're excited to be back and uh, compete for championships again. Well, Brian, we appreciate you being part of this. And again, we'll see you next week, too, in the third place game. You put up a heck of a fight today. Just came up a, a tiny bit short. Isaac, another heck of a performance. I think that's your second win in the really hard round this year. So good work, guys, and uh, we'll talk to you both next week. All right. Good job, man. Good luck. Wow. So Isaac comes through with another victory. He'll be playing for his third title game. Brian will move to the third place game. Yeah, that's a tough one. I think I think Brian said it well, though. It's In this competition, if you, if you go out just because you had no clue, you didn't know a question, and, and your opponent was able to get their question – it's just kind of a respect thing. It's just kind of like, hey, you know, I didn't know mine, you know, whatever, right? It's it's the questions where you feel like you knew it or you you had an idea and you missed them. That's the ones that stick with you. So, uh, you know, it's it's a it's a tough way to go out. But obviously, if there was ever a guy that you would feel good about being defeated to, it would be Isaac. I mean, this this guy is he is clearly locked in. I'm not buying one second of that crap about him. Oh, I didn't study. <laughs> obviously, he did study. Okay, I'm not buying that. So, yeah, you, no matter what Isaac says. You can't take him lightly. I mean, he, he's got the pedigree. You know what you're getting with him. He's just a, a, an incredible competitor. Brian obviously had a fantastic run. I'm really excited to have him back next year as a one seed. And, and uh, you know, he's, he's Brian to me has is, is been one of the great personalities of this tournament. So hopefully he can, he can get it done in the third place game because I'm a big Brian guy. Yeah. So I will support Brian. But uh, Isaac, man, I don't, I mean, it feels like it's all the superlatives have been exhausted of what this guy is. I mean, it, I mean, he's just, he's just, He's a machine, man. He's really, he's impressive. the Terminator of trivia, the trivia he, Terminator. He That's what really, I want to start dubbing him. Really, impressive. forget the Wonderkind. He has gone from that to assassin. You know, he's the trivia Terminator. <laughs> um, and and that's one of the cool things though about trivia. You get to you know get introduced, like you get to get introduced and, and get to know some people at least on like a surface level. Uh, oh, yeah. By the way, I will mention this. We are gonna on June 11th, Sunday, June 11th. 
from 4 to 7 p.m. at Johnny's Tavern in West Lawrence. We're going to do like a trivia, like, I don't know, meet and greet sounds like somebody signing autographs or something. Uh, it's not that, but it's just going to be like a hangout. So if you want to come okay. by and grab some food or grab yourself a beer, I know I'll be doing one of those um, and just meet some of the other trivia contestants or meet myself or I don't know if you can make it out, but um, yeah, we're, we're going to do that. So chance to do yeah. that. Yeah. Um, now, as far as Isaac, he's playing for the championship match. This does bring up the interesting debate again. Is Isaac officially now the GOAT again over Eric? So here's the numbers. He's got to win. Eric is 18 and 3. Isaac is 17 and 2. Eric is 81 and 4 on questions. Isaac is 79 and 7. Eric has four sizzling 16s. Isaac has three. Both have three grade eights. Both have three phenomenal fours. Eric has a third place. Um, Eric has two title appearances and one championship. Isaac now has three title appearances in the one championship. If he wins, yes. If he okay. loses, it's still it's a debate. I think. Okay. Yeah, if he lo- I, I, I think mean, it's fair. I, I mean, it's, it's he, definitely one of those two. Tyler emerged into the conversation after last year, but because he lost in the first round, he's yeah. now on that like next tier. Yeah, but okay, I agree with that. Yeah. If ju- okay, here's a fun one. If Justin Nichols wins the whole thing, is he in the conversation? That, would he be in the conversation? Because at that point, we'd have four champions. So among the four, he would be. If he wins it all, he would be thirteen and two. Whatever the the questions would be at that point in time, he'd have a third place as well. I don't know. Probably doesn't hold up in terms of that because he wouldn't have know, multiple title appearances if like he's Eric got and Isaac. One, if he's got one title and one third place, wouldn't that be the same as Eric and the same as Isaac? No, because Eric has another final appearance. Oh, and okay, Isaac now saying. has a third final appearance. So they both have three. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So probably not. Um, now. I'll be looking forward to that one with Kyle and Justin coming yeah, up I mean, tomorrow. I will say, we just talked about Nick Justin, but he's got to beat Kyle. Yeah. And Kyle's had a great run, too. Oh, yeah. He could absolutely win. And that would set up the study group matchup with uh, oh. Kyle versus Isaac if yeah. that happens. Yeah. Now, I will say with with Brian, and, and this applies for Justin this year, our last two champions the previous year were the third place winner. So Eric went from third place to winning it all. Tyler went from third place to winning it all. Justin last year won third place. If he can win at all, that trend would continue. And then if you're in the third place game, yeah, you're like, almost, I have to win this. That almost makes you more intrigued for the third place <laughs> right. game, even more. It's like, this we're, This is the battle of the future winners. Yep. Uh, RCST Trivia, one of our title sponsors is Pella Windows and Doors. Next trivia question, what windows and doors provider has been serving Kansas since 1957? The answer, your locally owned Pella Windows and Doors of Kansas with six showrooms across the state from Lawrence to Dodge City. Got a windows and doors project. Pella Kansas is here, locally owned and proudly serving Jayhawks for over 65 years with windows and doors solutions for every home and any budget. Schedule your free consultation at PellaKansas.com. We are also brought to you by Johnny's Tavern. In 2023, Johnny's Tavern is celebrating its 70th year anniversary. That's good news for you because they'll be having all sorts of specials at your local's Johnny's throughout the year. Stay tuned for more details about a 70th anniversary celebration at our original location in North Lawrence where you can be part of the neighborhood porch. There's now 13 locations of Johnny's from Topeka to the newest store in Raymore, Missouri. You can eat any of the great food, try any of the great beer including the new blue collar lager, a beer you can only get at Johnny's brewed by Free State Brewing Company and come by for that uh, trivia kind of meet and greet thing happening on Sunday, June 11th. With Nick Springer, I'm Derek Johnson. We're going to take a timeout, switch gears. Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks is going to join us next. Talk a little Rock Chalk Round Ball Classic. This is KLWN. Depend on it. KLWN with Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. As we're now joined in studio by Brian Haney, the voice of the Jayhawks. We just completed our first Phenomenal Four matchup of RCST Trivia. That was a uh, fun one. So, Brian, a week from today, we're going to be having the Round Ball Classic. And the game itself, um, I, I know I ask this every time you come on during the round ball, but I think 
worth repeating for for listeners and stuff. Uh, take us through the whole events, everything that goes on next week for the round ball, if you could. Thank you guys for the chance to promote it. Thank you guys for doing the play-by-play again. You know, it, this is so much about people donating their time and talents to pull this off, whether your talent is slam dunking or play-by-play broadcasting or hot dog rolling, whatever it is. And uh, you guys are donating your talents. So we are very grateful. Thank you in advance once again for that. But uh, yeah, it's it's a three-day event as it has been for the last five or six years, minus the pandemic year, of course. And our game, of course, is in its 15th year, 7 p.m. at Free State, one week from tonight. 40-plus former Jayhawks, two Kansas City Chiefs, and uh, a partridge in a pear tree. We, we got a lot to look forward to, I promise you, and we'll get into some of those names in a second. But uh, 5.30, doors open. There's a, a live concert from a local country artist named Ryan Manuel who'll be performing. And then uh, we've got another uh, halftime act that's going to sing America the Beautiful. It's actually a, a young man that, that goes to my church just up the road at Velocity who I think sounds like Lawrence's John Legend. <laughs> wow. <laughs> so I thought for the 15th anniversary game, we got we got to belt it out at the half. And we're also doing doing something special for my favorite 15 in Kansas history. Yours might be Mario Chalmers, and he's high on my list. But my favorite is forever Bud Stallworth. Mm -hmm. And uh, we're going to have Bud's wife, Robin, representing him there that night. And we'll tell you more about that on event night. But we're going to dedicate the Round Ball Classic trophy to Bud and name it after him since he's the winningest round ball coach of all time, the original round ball coach. It's funny, his all-time win percentage is just above 50%. But if you ask Bud, he'd tell you he never lost. Um, and I love that about Bud. He had the most swagtastic sideline demeanor of any coach we've ever had. So much so that in 2012, when the game ended in a tie in regulation, we had the two head coaches shoot it off from a free throw line, Scott Pollard versus Stallworth. And Nick, you'll never believe this. I think Derek watched it. Bud makes the shot on one end of the floor, and he holds the follow-through with his, his wrist bent in the air, turns around and walks 94 feet <laughs> off the court and out the door. Just, just like the most swagtastic moment you've ever seen. So Bud is forever in my heart a legend of legends, not just for the Jayhawk that he was and the great Rock Chalk Sports Talk host that he was, but he's been a tremendous ambassador. And we're going to have a special uh, honoring of the trophy in his honor and name at halftime as well. We'll have our half-court shot to win a car contest from Crown, as we always do. Uh, we'll have post-game autographs and pictures and all of that. It's going to be a ton of fun, but a few special surprises because it's our 15th year for sure. Then on Friday, we get all the guys back, and uh, the current team will be joining us as well, thanks to name, image, and likeness. We'll have uh, the current guys out there at the Burge Union on Friday. I think as of right now, all the tables are sold out. We might have two extra seats to sell, literally, to the Friday night celebrity dinner at Burge Union. Highly recommend all of these events, but I, I think if you haven't been to that one before, it's something you need to go to to, yeah. to get the full understanding. It's it's really cool, isn't it? You get five guys up on stage telling the untold stories of KU basketball, and last year and this year, one of those five guys is Bill Self. Think of the stories he has to tell. So it's, it's a great event. If you didn't get a chance to get a table this year, by all means, make plans to next year. Like I said, though, if you're just looking for pairs of tickets to that, and we do sell a couple tables worth of pairs, I, I think you could still log on right now at rockchalkroundballclassic.com and get at least one pair, maybe two, uh, to the dinner tickets. Uh, and again, it's the beauty of all three of these events is there's nothing else you'll ever do with KU that gives you as much face-to-face -face 
experience and interaction and engagement with these players is what you get Thursday, Friday, and Saturday of round ball weekend. So Friday's at the Burge Union, one week from tomorrow, and then Saturday is the round bowl classic. Big thanks to Royal Crest Lanes for donating again this year. They are so generous that they give us the, the 30 lanes of free bowling so we can have the celebs out there on every single lane and raise every penny we can for these courageous cancer-fighting kids. The uh, round bowl classic, by the way, is presented by Jefferson's and hosted by Royal Crest Lanes. The round ball dinner is presented by Johnny's Tavern. So big thanks to both of them for their generosity. But that's kind of the full weekend. And again, the current team, by the way, will be out there for the Saturday bowling. So what kind of bowler is Hunter Dickinson? I have no <laughs> idea, but I can't wait to find out. We'll be interested to see if he's a lefty bowler, just like with, with the jump shot. Maybe. Some guys a little ambidextrous there. There's, there's a chance that Julian Wright is going to join us for the bowling only based on his schedule. He's, he's doing clinics and camps in the Dallas area now. He, if you recall, I don't want to say legendary bowler, but yeah. he, he was a famed bowler. At the, uh, oh, what was it called? The um, J-Bowl. It's closed now. Yeah, yeah, J-Bowl. The J-Bowl. Right. Oh, yep. yeah. Mm-hmm. That was in the basement of the Union. Right? Yes, yeah. exactly. Yeah, yeah. He used to go over there between classes, and I'm told to roll north of 200 every time. Wow. So <laughs> apparently Chris Tehan's a really good bowler, too. But uh, Brady Morningstar and Todd Reesing have been the last two winners of the Round Bowl Classic. And yes, there is a winner. I, I thought Devontae Graham did really well a couple years ago, too, right? Good memory. Yeah, yeah. He, he was, uh, if not in the finals, the semis. I think that the other guys that would be in contention are Travis Relaford, Sharon Collins, Devontae Graham, all really good bowlers. But Reesing had a walk-off win moment two years ago, and he was talking about swagtastic. He was pumping his fist and chest bumping and all that. You think he just won the Orange Bowl and said it was the round bowl. But uh, anyways, he was great. And then last year, Brady won it. So who wins it this year? We'll find out. But that's your full weekend layout, Thursday through Saturday next week. Yeah, we're looking forward to it. That's for sure. And and you guys have been announcing a bunch of the different roster pickups, player additions over the past couple days and and weeks on, uh, I've seen the, the Twitter account. Um, which you can give a follow to with with the Rock Chalk Rumble Classic, and uh, you mentioned Chiefs players. We, we saw Trent Green on there yesterday, which I, I was trying to explain this to Nick. I believe he has a brother who I've heard. I, I don't think I've ever met his brother, but looks just like him, he and does. I think owns uh, the Dominoes right here he in does. town. Yeah. So I didn't know if that was the tie-in or or what got you around to getting some some Kansas City Chiefs on the it's, team. It's a funny story. I'll tell you the full story, but I'll try to give you the condensed version. Troy Green is an amazing guy, and when I was you guys' age or closer to Nick's age, uh, he sponsored my KJHK radio show <laughs> live from Domino's. We had Al Bowl, the wow. KUAD, sitting in like a folding chair inside that <laughs> that tiny Domino's entryway, and we did live radio with Al Bowl talking Kansas athletics with probably 12 people listening. But Troy Green, my audience doubled when I came here. It was right, amazing. Yeah. <laughs> but, but Troy Green was nice enough to, to sponsor that, and then he and I became friends, and about a year later, one of my best friends in the world at the age of 21 had to have a heart transplant. And uh, he was a diehard Chiefs fan. He actually had a Chiefs tattoo, vanity license plate, everything. You think you're a Chiefs fan? You needed to meet John. He was like the biggest one ever. And I go to Troy and I say, listen, I don't know if he's going to make it out of this surgery or not. But I know that before he goes in, like if he could get a phone call or like uh, a picture from your brother. This is before smartphones, by the way. I'm, right. not, I'm that old. He couldn't FaceTime him. Um, if, if he could just do that, it would make his life. Well, he calls Trent. 30 minutes later, Trent is driving to St. Luke's Hospital wow. in downtown Missouri, Casey Moe. Pulls into the hospital, runs upstairs, sits there for an hour and a half. 
talking football, wow. talking life. Could not have been a better guy. My buddy John survived the heart transplant. He lived 20 more years, unfortunately, before he, he passed away. When, when you have heart transplants, you're more susceptible to lymphoma. Sadly, he passed away at the age of 41. But he got 20 extra years, and, and Trent was always his favorite because of that. So I've been indebted to Trent for life because of that favor. But then uh, I've been hitting him up for round ball. You, know, you go back for more, right, when guys right. help you out. And, and he's never come around. Well, well finally, <laughs> as, as luck would have it, he had some people bail in his uh, Ronald McDonald House golf tournament, which is next week. And he said, I'll make you a trade. If you come play in my golf tournament <laughs> against my better judgment, I will lace them up and play. Because okay. he's 52 now and, and play so basketball. So who do you think is going to perform better? Because I saw, it, yeah, it, it wasn't just when I first saw it, I was like, oh, he's going to coach. But it said guard on there, so, so he's yeah. going to play. He's going to play. Are you going to, I don't know, how's your golf game? How's that going to go versus, do you think, him on the basketball court? I, I would always go with the professional okay. athlete at, at anything compared <laughs> to the you know hack of a radio broadcaster but uh i'll be okay i can shoot in the upper 80s okay but uh but he can stick the three and as we're about to say in tomorrow's facebook post he's he's a pass first point guard as you can imagine of course, yeah. uh so he's gonna be dropping dimes left and right but then we get him committed and neil smith decides he wants to be a part of it i know you're friends with neil yeah we just had and, him on i don't know last summer i think yeah and so I've been trying to get him to play power forward. Apparently, apparently there's there's a injury recovery he's dealing with. Okay. But he's going to coach. So Neil will be there to coach. Trent will be there to play. Akeem Talib was yep. hanging out yesterday, and and I tell him about Trent Green. He's like, oh man, I got to get some of that. I, I got to play. <laughs> and, and but he's he's also doing coaching clinics down in in Dallas too. So get this, we're flying him in for like six hours. And, and he's coming wow. to the game, and he's playing in the first half of the game. Wow. And then he's rushing back to the airport to get back. <laughs> so so Akeem Tlaib will be there. And and the dream scenario is Tlaib guarding Trent Green. Right. Because Tlaib has intercepted Peyton Manning. I think he's intercepted Tom Brady. You can go back and look at profootballreference.com. He's intercepted like the who's who of NFL yeah. quarterbacks. Yeah. But has he ever picked off Trent Green? And if not, he could add a round ball classic interception and and put him on his list of, of guys he's got. Well, the first half thing works perfectly because his his notable pick six in the Orange Bowl is in the first half. Right. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> first half player and everything. Now, uh, for the other players that have been announced recently, we've seen Keith Langford, uh, Brandon McAnderson is is always a part of this. Uh, we saw Silvio de Sosa, Devon Dotson over some recent days. Are, are the rosters final at this point, or are there still some things kind of juggling in the air for you? I had about three 50-50s that all got wrapped up today. So unless somebody surprises us by not coming, I think we've got the 40 that we're going to get. Now, we have a few that are Friday and Saturday only. I referenced Julian might come and bowl, but he can't be there on Thursday. There's several guys like that. It's, it's amazing how uh, these guys' schedules fill up even when they're done with their careers because many of them are coaching now or they're doing clinics. And so some guys are coming in for weekend only. But – uh, for that particular night, when you guys are on the broadcast, we'll have rosters about 15 deep on each side, so 30 players, coaches about 10 deep, so so 40-plus KU celebs, and there's some current head coaches on the KU campus that have all verbaled to be there, many of which are not basketball coaches, but they're big names that'll be there, and so 
uh, we'll see what they look like, uh, you know, with a clipboard in hand and, and trying to draw up three-point shots when they're used to drawing up tackles or yeah. uh, hit and runs <laughs> or volleyball spikes, right. if, if you catch what I'm putting down. So we got some big-name other coaches coming, too. But, yeah, uh, in terms of, like, the headliners, obviously, uh, Devontae and Sfi every year, that's a great package deal to get. Devontae may be a player-slash-coach this year. He's he's uh, healing up from something, so we'll see. But but he might, he might be coaching. Um, we've got Greg Ostertag as a head coach this year. He played last year. But uh, Wayne Selden, Ben McLemore, Devon Dotson, Yudoka Azubuki, Darnell Jackson, Brandon Rush, Sharon Collins, Tyshawn Taylor, just to name a few. And is Doak, I, I remember Doak coached in the past. Is he going to be coaching or playing this year? Million-dollar question. I don't know. Okay. <laughs> because if, if he's playing, I think Free State High School might want to get their rims ready. I agree. I agree. Uh, I've got the jersey ordered for him. You know, we'll, we'll see what he elects to do. Obviously, a lot of these guys, you know, you just want to be careful, be, be, be of course. safe. But, uh, you know, the beauty of it is there's no defense ever played in this game. So, you know, if you catch the ball on the block, you don't only have to dunk over anybody. They're going to get out of the way. But, uh, but yeah, hopefully he's, he's able to at least get up and down the floor a little bit. But, you know, the beauty of this event is you get the autographs and the photo ops and the exposure to the guys, whether they play or not. But I think we've got some guys in this game. It's funny, like the guys that take it seriously that want to show out oh, yeah. and score 40, and then the other guys are just trying not to get hurt and roll an ankle. So believe me, I've got plenty of guys that want to get their 40, so you're going to have the highlights. How about this story, real quickly? I know we don't have a ton of time. Cole Aldrich, all right? You know how I've told you that there's certain guys that just get it. And when I say get it, I mean they understand what the cause is for. They they have the kid's best interest in mind and the organization's best interest in mind. This is a guy that's never taken a penny for a hotel or a flight or gas or anything. Not that guys shouldn't, mm-hmm. but but I mean he, he always wants to, to pay his own way. And 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 this year, Friday is his son's last day in like kindergarten or preschool or something. Games on Thursday night. So this seven-foot guy is going to drive in whatever kind of car he drives wow. down from Bloomington, Minnesota, play in the game. I'm surprised he's not biking down, to be honest. Right, right. Yeah. He's, he's, that's that's <laughs> he's his other really passion. to the yeah. biking, yeah. And then he's going to get up the crack of dawn and drive all the way back so he can be there for his son's last day of school. Um, and obviously, we'd, we'd love to have him stay the whole weekend. He'd be one of the stars of the Friday dinner. But that commitment, both to the cause and to being a dad, is so impressive to me because a lot of guys would have said, you know what, this just didn't the year. I'll get you next year or I'll get you in the future. Cole comes every single time. And and a lot of times people think round ball is just a three days in June type thing. Round ball is a year-round deal. And we'll have kids that are going through something heavy in November or a, a chemotherapy grueling reg- regimen in February. And they're down and out. And I get a message from our family liaison, Erica Souter of Baby J's Legacy of Hope. And she's like, man, this kid's struggling. Cole and Devante are probably the first two guys I reach out to. And every time, without any arm twisting, yeah, what do you need? Can, can you give me a 30-second selfie video to pump this kid up? Within two minutes, it's right back to me. That's the kind of guys we're dealing with here. So I tell you that story not to sell tickets or get you there next week, but to let you know there are some Jayhawk ambassadors that are just so, so special when it comes to their heart. And that's why on his jersey retirement night, you remember when I introduced him, I said, he's got a heart as big as his 7'4 wingspan. I mean it. It really is that big. Cole Aldrich is one great dude. That's cool. Well, uh, the last question I got for you here, I, I would imagine pretty soon you're going to be doing, I, I forget who you do it against every year if it's a different person, but um, when you draft out the teams, yeah. when you come together with the teams here, when is that going to happen? 
And I, I, I printed out here. I've, I've given all of us have it now, and, and this will be helpful. We do a points draft next week, nice. uh, which which involves some stuff. I've, I've found as much archivable data as I can, which basically <laughs> involves going past LJ World articles and going to the bottom and seeing who scored what. So I only have to 2016. I'm, I'm constantly looking for the older stuff. But we've got the points per game stuff. Uh, feel free to use any of this. I don't have the Bud Stallworth one point on there, uh, unfortunately, from the one free throw. But uh, when is that going to happen, and, and how does that all go down for how you pay, uh, figure out and, and well, determine the roster. The guy we determine the roster with is a longtime assistant to the cause, Michael Mead, who does all of our posters and our graphics for player announcements. He's so gifted as a, as a digital media guy and artist. And uh, we've already drafted the teams. Um, okay. We uh, we bet we bet a steak dinner on, on who wins each year. <laughs> uh, and and yeah, I think the all time record is pretty similar to Bud Stallworth, so right around five hundred. <laughs> but uh, he's a great guy and. Uh, this year, we drafted them. I think they're pretty dang even, but uh, we've got one particular player uh, who's a pretty famous guy that won a national title and a world championship, mm. and I've ordered a red jersey and a blue jersey for him because I'm hedging my bet on what team <laughs> I need to move him on to in case certain guys decide not to play and just coach. So these are the types of things that go right. into this. With the common Coke, fan with doesn't know. Yeah, right, right. tough. Because so, yeah. you don't want a, a huge balance of power to shift if one guy bows out but mm -hmm. the other doesn't. So this guy's a pretty dang good player, and I've got a jersey for him in red and blue. So hopefully when we turn in the uh, the programs to be ordered on Monday by Printing Solutions here in town, big thanks to Terry Jacobson, what's on that list will be final, and we'll put that out on social media on Monday or Tuesday. But we always get a little bit of fluctuation, and so uh, maybe, maybe let's plan on Tuesday and next week, and you'll know what the roster looks like. Sound okay, good? perfect, perfect. But, but well, super impressive with all your statistical research. Feel free to take it. Feel free it. to use it if you'd like. Well, uh, once again, you can go on out to the game on Thursday. You can go to the dinner on Friday, but it sounds like that's uh, going fast, so you better get to that rockchalkroundballclassic.com Saturday, the bowling. Of course, if you're just interested, if, if you can't make it to any events, you can just donate straight on the website at rockchalkroundballclassic.com. Brian, I appreciate the time as always, and uh, we'll see you plenty next week. Appreciate you. This should be a, a Rock Chalk Sports Talk trivia question next year. Three guys have hit last-second game-winning decisive mm. shots in Roundball Classic history, and it's three names that have never been in a sentence together otherwise. <laughs> Stephen Vinson, Lawrence okay. High Fame, Jeff Graves, the Big Gravy. Last year, yeah. And Bud Stallworth. Wow. When have those three ever been in the list. same sentence? <laughs> what a there list. you go. They are now and they are forever. All right, he's Brian Haney, voice of the Jayhawks. Two hours down, one to go. This is RCST on KLWN. Depend on it. Five o'clock hour, you're listening to Rock Chalk Sports Talk. This is FM 1017 and 1320 KLWN. Thanks to Brian for coming in studio. We're going to have another RCST trivia matchup coming up tomorrow, and then our finals and third place game will be set for next week. Uh, starting out a new segment, though, as we go on over the offseason and get to the doldrums of the, the sports calendar and try <laughs> to figure out things to talk about. Hey, We're man, gonna... the Royals are 17 and 39, I think. Come on. Yeah, they don't leave us with a lot of uh, content there. So we're going to be doing a Jayhawk Rewind, where once every Thursday, kind of on a throwback Thursday type thing, we're going to be looking at the past 13 games, I guess, for KU. And I think yep. we're actually, as of today, because the first game is a Thursday, are we I think 13? we are 13 weeks out. Wow. So I think this actually works that actually out. Doesn't, that actually doesn't make it sound like it's that far away. No, it really doesn't. I mean, I guess it's like, if you think about it, there's 52 weeks in a year. 13 is like... Quarter of the way there. Quarter of the way there, so... Yeah. Or kind of three ways. quarters of the way there, I guess, if you're looking at it that way. That's so kind of the 12 games, so. we're going to look back and 
kind of deep dive into each game, thoughts going into the game, thoughts when it happened, looking back, what it meant, what it could mean, or, or what we could learn from it for this season. Yep. And that starts us with the first game of the season, which was Tennessee Tech, which Tennessee KU Tech. just absolutely blasted Tennessee Tech yep. against an FCS opponent. And coming into the game, what we thought kind of headed in, there was some optimism. There was some optimism of KU getting to like I think you predicted three and nine. That I was the I question. Predicted. It was could they get to four wins? Yeah, I think I predicted six and six, which ended up being you did. hate to brag, but that ended up being correct. <laughs> no, you nailed it. You nailed it. And but anyways, yeah. So there there was some cautious optimism about KU taking a step forward under Lance Leipold, but there was definitely some 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 of the same rhetoric we've heard in the past of boy, there's some talk of KU taking a step. What if they don't? Right? Like what if it's what if they struggle? Yeah. What if it's what if it doesn't happen? Yeah. And I think the first game, especially against an FCS opponent, was going to be so important in setting the tone for the season. Right. Right. Like if you come out that if you came out and struggled and you know, it was a dog fight and you know, it's twenty four seventeen fourth quarter, like it was uh in the first year of Les Miles against Indiana State, like it was that gonna make people some people start to panic. So that was that was kind of where people were at, I felt like going into that game. Yes, I think that was the best way to put it. We didn't go into the game expecting to learn everything or to have overwhelming takeaways. Yeah, but it didn't it was feel just, like it was going to set the tone. Yeah, and, and it was try not to have any bad takeaways. To your point on whether it's the Indiana State game or some of the FCS games the KU has lost or other games that have been kind of, I don't know, like I think just back like, to the South Dakota game uh, yeah. when Charlie Weiss's years it was like 34 or even, to 17 or, even or something. Lance Leipold's first game, that was against South Dakota too, right? Right, Where right. it was like you needed a fourth quarter drive. Right. Where it's it's like it almost tells you more from a, well, this might not be great standpoint than it does if you blow them out. It's like that was expected, but that's what you're looking for. Yeah. And, and coming into that game was coming into the season, obviously. Yeah, the conversation was, I think the over-under in Vegas was two and a half wins. We both liked the over there. Um, as you mentioned, you, you had them winning six games, but the conversation—I yeah, was, I was definitely, I was definitely more on the much opti- more optimistic side. I it, think the general public was more of like kind of what you were saying of right. Can you win three? Can or you four? get to three or four? Right, you won, you won two the year before, and if you could get to four wins, it would be the most wins that you had had in a season since the Mangino era. So, like, that was a real number of, that's like, can you attain you that? That's kind of sad when you put it like that. I know, it doesn't sound great. <laughs> uh, but they ended up doing it through the first four games of the season. Yeah. And then what happened in the game was KU just demolished them. They they jump out 21 nothing after the first quarter. They're up 35-3 to at halftime. They yep. win the game 56-10. to they just dominated, and I there don't know. There was a blocked field goal for a touchdown in there, right? Kobe Bryant. There, yep, Kobe Bryant. Uh, there was a long touchdown run by Devin Neal, I believe. There was uh, a couple other really nice plays. And, yeah, again, I think it was during the game, it just felt good, right? It just it just, it just, felt really, really good. It felt like you went into the game, you were clearly superior uh, in all three phases, basically, and there was just no, there was no question who was the better team? There, there was no sense of okay, you're going into the fourth quarter and it's still like a ten point game where like you feel per- like KU's going to win, but like eh, you know it's not like convincing or it's not you don't feel super great about it. No, this was from the word go from the from the opening kickoff. It was clear one team was significantly significantly better than the other, which is how it should be in these types of games. Yes, and so you didn't necessarily learn everything, but you learned you didn't learn any negatives i guess would be the way of putting it yeah 
And so I think for me, the biggest takeaway that I remember having from that game was I, I think the number one thing was Lonnie, Lonnie Phelps, Phelps is yeah. an absolute dude. If you remember, that was a game he had four tackles for loss. He had three sacks. He was the best player on the field when the KU defense was against the Tennessee Tech offense. I don't know. He might have been the best player for that game just in general. Yeah, because it was clear when Lonnie Phelps committed to KU earlier that year that, okay, this was the guy that was maybe going to make an impact, right? But coming from Miami of Ohio, like, what how what was that level going to be? Was he going to be the best player on the field, like you alluded to, or was he going to be just you know a solid contributor, but maybe not necessarily like the star player? Well, that that question was answered definitively in week one that this guy Lonnie Phelps was going to be the best defender on the team, the most important defender on the team, and he was going to make impact plays. And that I hundred percent agree with you. That was by far the biggest takeaway from that game was okay. KU now has an impact pass rusher, a star player that on third down, when you need a big moment, when you need a big play, he can come through for you. That was definitely the biggest takeaway was, yeah, this guy's legit. This guy's for real. Uh, I think he was, all he was what, first team in the MAC, I think, uh, and then comes to KU and in the first game, I think, like I said, definitively kind of answers the questions of, what kind of player he's going to be for KU. Yeah, immediately you knew he was going to be one of, if not the best defenders on the entire defense. Yeah. Um, I think you also got to see, like, the one of the big takeaways was how efficient the KU quarterbacks were. Again, not a situation where against Tennessee Tech, you necessarily knew from that game that Jalen Daniels was yeah, going to be a Heisman funny. candidate. Yeah, it's kind of funny. With, the, with, these, with this discussion, I was thinking, like, you kind of have to take, o- take off the rose-colored glasses because now – in hindsight, you just like, oh, Jalen Daniels is elite. Like, this dude's elite as hell. He's going to go out and ball out every game. Well, you didn't necessarily know that going into the season last year, right? I mean, you knew you felt pretty confident, but you didn't know that he was going to be in the Heisman talks by week five, right? So for him to come out and be that efficient quarterback, and I think he, had, I think he threw an interception, though. It was a pretty bad interception, what I recall. But other than that, he was, like, pretty good in the game. And, yeah, that's the second aspect of this, right? When you look at the common denominators of KU football over the past 15 years since the Mangino era, it was always kind of this question at the quarterback position. Well, that question kind of started to turn into a period with Jalen Daniels where it was not a question anymore. It was now a statement of this is the guy. This is the guy that is going to, you know, because there was that real QB battle between him and Jason Bean all offseason. And now it's like, okay, you feel pretty good about Jalen Daniels here. Yes. Uh, so, I mean, looking back, 96.5 QBR for Jalen Daniels, 98.5 for Jason Bean. That ended up uh, meaning something. And I, it's not that you knew they would win what they ended up winning six after the game, let alone maybe even those four games that you were kind of going for. It just was different and how much they did set a tone, how clear that things were different yeah. based I mean, just, on the FCS just, performance. It just felt different. Than the previous it really FCS did. games, right? Because like the the one other FCS game that sticks out as being one that KU just pasted them was Rhode Island. <laughs> but wasn't Rhode Island like literally the worst FCS team of yes. all time? That Rhode year? Island <laughs> at that point was they you were know, they were the FCS version right. of KU. Rhode Island has turned into a a pretty solid FCS team, I believe. But yeah, at that point in time, that was less about KU. That was more about how bad Rhode Island was. This was. You know, Tennessee Tech was four and seven in the FCS. They weren't yeah, a great I mean, team. Yeah, an average team. But this was more about KU. They outyarded them five oh two to one ninety. They had two hundred and ninety seven rushing yards, almost ten yards per carry. They held Tennessee Tech to two point two yards per carry. Um and this was KU had three turnovers. Tennessee Tech had one. So KU was minus two in the turnover column and still was able to just absolutely dominate the game from that standpoint. 
Um, now, as far as when you look back, things that did not end up coming to fruition from that first game. Coming out of that first game, it was a story of KU dominating the line of scrimmage. Obviously, the offense opened up all sorts of huge holes and took advantage of it, averaging 10 yards per carry, protecting the quarterback. But the defense was what really stood out, and a big part was Lonnie Phelps. The defensive line had 12 tackles for loss for KU with five sacks. And I will say... That's pretty good. Something that did come to fruition is that I remember the year before against South Dakota in the FCS game, I believe they only had two or three tackles for loss. Like, it was a low, low number. Um, So you did show that against an FCS opponent, we are better than we are last year. And that ended up coming to fruition. They were a better overall defensive line than they were the year before. But looking at those numbers, you would have thought they would have had a lot more of other chaotically productive games over the course of the season. Beyond Phelps. They kind of didn't. No, they uh, you had you know some big games for Hayden Hatcher, Caleb Sampson, Jeremy Robinson, Caleb Taylor in that game. Uh, yeah, they're they're I, I think the very next week against West Virginia, like you didn't get a sack, yeah, you got, right? You got clamped. There were yeah. a couple other games where Lonnie Phelps might have stepped up, or Jeremy Robinson might have had some big plays, like against Baylor. But for the most part, that didn't end up coming to fruition in the same way. Yeah, yeah, and and you're right because. The off, on the offensive side, that did end up coming to fruition. The offensive line did end up kind of establishing themselves as an offensive line that can get some movement. But yeah, on the defensive side, it was it really was more about specifically Lonnie Phelps for the rest of the season than it was about the entire unit being a disruptive unit, right? It really just kind of came down to specifically Lonnie Phelps. So that was something that ended up kind of, you're right, not really coming to fruition in the same way, which again, you don't ex- you don't want to look at an FCS game and say, Wow, they weren't able to replicate that against all these other Power Five opponents. They must have failed. No, it's not that crazy. It's not that far. But like that, you it, considering how much of a leap it was from what you mentioned from the previous game against South Dakota the previous year, it felt like okay, this is a situation where you take a sizable step forward. And it just it was a step forward, but was it a sizable step the rest of the year? Eh, again, besides Lonnie Phelps, maybe not. I have another category here of hindsight 2020 goggles. So things okay. that maybe we didn't realize <laughs> at the time, but looking back, you were like, oh, it's obvious. That makes sense. I, maybe the quarterback stuff should have gone in here. Okay. It's like okay, looking yeah. back. It's like, oh, they went 16 of 19 and yeah. played unbelievable. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, I think Jacob Borchilla, he was 0 for 1 on field goals. I don't remember how long the field goal was. I know it was I, I was looking on ESPN today. It shows you by like 10 yards split, so 30 to 39, 40 to 49. It was between 40 to 49. So it could have been a long field goal, which maybe that wasn't the case. But Borchilla obviously struggled, and the KU special teams obviously wound wound up kind of struggling. Now, they did get the Kobe Bryant touchdown on the blocked field goal. But specifically for the kicking side, that was something where, yeah, maybe this wasn't going to be much different than the year before. Um, And then here's something else that, that really stood out. If you remember, KU had a lot of fumbling problems last year. They did. They did. Had a, a lot of games where they got lucky even recovering their own fumble, like the West Virginia one. I think it was high shot fumbles, but recovers it inside the own five. Yep. They have to do a better job of holding on to the ball this year. That ended up being something that hindsight 2020, you look back at that first game because they fumbled twice and they lost both of them. Yikes. Like that was Yikes. clearly an yeah, indicator that, at that point in time. That did end up being a problem. And. Yeah, that what I think when that really came to fruition was in the West Virginia game because then they fumbled again a couple times, but they recovered it. You mentioned the high shot one. I think they were, didn't they fumble again in the West Virginia game and they recovered their own fumble again? I think there was two in that. I guess we'll get to that next week. But 
Yeah, I, I guess that that's when we'll find out more on that. I just remember they had a lot of fumbles that they did recover at the early portion of the season. Then they started losing some of the fumbles as the uh, season kind of went on there, which tends to happen with fumbles. Sometimes they bounce away, sometimes they don't. Yeah. Um. So those were the two that stuck out. But again, FCS game, you're not going to have like overwhelming one way or another. Now, did it teach us anything? Did that game teach us anything for this upcoming season? I think it. It. The main thing is just that. An FCS game, it's you can't ruin your season with, or let me rephrase, you can't like, it's not going to propel you to like the college ball playoff or whatever. Like the FCS game is not going to do that, but it can like set the tone negatively. Yeah, you Does can't. That make sense? You can't like, hit your goals. Phrase it. Yeah, you yeah, can't, you can't hit your goals on the FCS. But you game, can lose some goals, but you can lose them. Yes, yes that's that's what I'm looking for a way to to describe it as uh, in that way. And so I think that's what it teaches you. Like the FCS game, it's it's a tone setter, right? It's a it's an opportunity. I mean, I, I it not a, not exactly an apt comparison, but you know, in the NFL, you get some preseason games. It's a borderline preseason game, right? Where you set the tone for how you're going to go through the rest of your of your regular season. And that's kind of what I think was the big takeaway from that was you came out, you were clearly the better team for all 60 minutes. You dominated, and look what happened. You used that to propel yourself to coming back to a big win against West Virginia to then going to 3-0, 4-0, 5-0, right? Like that if 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 you don't, you know, let's say KU wins that game against Tennessee Tech like 31 to 20, right? Or you know, and it's kind of like a KU's up by 10 the whole game, but it's not dominant, it's not convincing. They, you know, Tennessee Tech does some things. Does KU come back and beat West Virginia? I don't know. Does KU start 5-0? Probably not, right? So it's it's an opportunity for your team to to really really look forward and say this is how we're going to start our season and we're going to build upon that from right here and it starts in this game that was that's kind of the thing that I take away the most yeah i i think that um the way i look at it was that even though you dominated an fcs opponent like and it doesn't guarantee power 5 success it does make it more likely because think about it from this standpoint if you are the best player in the world. When you go play pickup ball with a bunch of guys who, you know, never graduated past high school or something, you're going to dominate. You should dominate. You yes. should dominate, right? So, and then if you go off to the NBA, you're the best player in the world, you should still be really good. But along that way, you should dominate at every level you get to. So if you're going to be good against Oklahoma, if you're good against the FCS team, doesn't mean you're going to be good against Oklahoma. But if you're bad against the FCS team, probably doesn't mean well. that you're going to do well against Oklahoma. Now, obviously, things change. Like, I don't know, you lights click over the course of the season, people improve. So I'm, I'm not saying that it's all linear in that way. But theoretically, if you're not going to perform well against your easiest opponent, it's going to be an uphill battle from there. And when you look back on it, Lonnie, Lonnie Phelps was KU's best defender in that game. He wound up being the best defender on the season. Devin Neal had an unbelievable game. Four carries, 108 yards, and two touchdowns. Devin Neal wound up having a great season. The quarterbacks were super efficient. They wound up carrying that performance over all season long. You had some nice plays from the receiver, like uh, the Quentin Skinner long ball on on like the, the deep post yeah. that Jalen Daniels threw an absolute dime on. Like that stuff carried over over the course of the season that even though I, I'm not going to overreact to what happens in the FCS game, to the positives that happen in the FCS game this year when they're playing Missouri State, 
you know, if they do win 45 to 17 and there are some good plays or, or there's a player who maybe has struggled to earn playing time in past years or hasn't broken out yet and they do break out in that game, I am going to start to look at that and be like, okay, maybe that is indicative because if you were the best player in this game, why would you not continue to be the team's best players in other games? Yeah, and, and college football, I think more so than maybe other sports, it's momentum-based, right? Week to week. Like, you have a good week, you can build on that. You have a bad week, they, it, what coaches will tell you is you try not to let that linger, but the reality situation is that it can sometimes. So just starting off on a positive can be just so important to, to going forward to building on that. He's Nick Springer. I'm Derek Johnson. We'll do uh, the West Virginia game next Thursday. We're also going to do some KU Football Friday stuff on Fridays where we'll ask kind of a hypothetical fun question every week leading up to the uh, start of the season. I think Big 12 Media Days are actually in about uh, six weeks in the middle of July down in uh, Dallas. All right, with Nick Springer, Derek Johnson, this is Rock Chalk Sports Talk. You're listening on KLWN. Depend on it. Thanks for listening to the best of RCST podcast. And a reminder, you can catch our show Monday through Friday from 3 to 6 live on KLWN in Lawrence, 101.7 FM, 1320 AM, or anywhere you're online at klwn.com or the KLWN app. Thanks for listening.